Hey, Victory family, I'm so excited to be with you in your living rooms, on your cell phones and your iPads. Again, it's just great to gather, especially in a time like this. I, I still believe that the church is the hope of the world. And certainly with what we've experienced over the past couple of months, it's important for us to just gather together and to turn our attention to the word of God. We did get some pretty cool news regarding our opportunity to regather here soon. Um, at one point, the school's guidelines were that people who gathered had to be 10 or less, and now it's been moved up to 25 or less. So we are moving in the right direction. We're making progress to be able to regather again soon. Notice that I say regather and not reopen because our church has not been closed. Thanks to your faithfulness and your generosity, we have continued to be able to do so much even though we haven't been able to gather together in person. And again, Darla and I cannot wait to be together with you, but we still believe that we are making progress as a church in our community and in the lives of each other. Today, we're going to start a special series where we as a church are going to study through the book of Philippians. And so I want to encourage you right now, if you can, you know, go get notepads, pens. If you have a paper Bible, get your paper Bible. Get right now. Look, do me a favor and just pause me for a second right there. Hit that pause button. You thought you paused me, didn't you? I'm just kidding. Look, look take a minute. Go get your notepad, get your, get your pens, and let's do this together. If you are with us last year, we studied through the book of James. And this is such, you're going to find out how timely this word is for us as a church and as Christ followers. And so let me give you a little bit of backstory real quick on what we're reading so that you know what we're doing before we dive in. So Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he is a church planter. And so he would go to places like Rome and Galatia and uh, Philippi, as we're about to see, and he would plant these churches, and then he would continue traveling, doing ministry, and then he would write letters back to those churches for encouragement and empowerment and, and correction and different things. And so we take those letters, again, Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, and we read those things, and we empower our churches, and we encourage ourselves as Christ followers. And so what we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks is the letters that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church in Philippi. Okay, so open up to Philippians chapter 1. You've got the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts and Romans. And as you keep on turning, you will find the book of Philippians. So open up to Philippians chapter 1. And the first couple of verses are just his introduction. He would always do a common introduction. This is Paul. This is who I am. This is who I'm writing to. And you and I are going to start reading in verse 3. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. That's Paul talking to the church in Philippi. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion unto the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. It is right for me to be filled with joy and love about you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains, because Paul's in prison as he writes this, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So, so Paul starts off the letter by saying, hey, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're awesome. You're the joy of my heart. Theologians say it's actually the only letter Paul wrote that wasn't filled with correction, right? Paul is just writing to say, hey, I love you. You're awesome. You're doing great. And this church, literally, I like to say it like this. This was the church 
that the world needed, okay? This church was generous. They put their money where their mouth was. This church was a service-minded church. They served each other and they served their community. And this church was diverse. We're gonna learn as we study this that Paul took Lydia, who was an Asian woman who was very wealthy, and he took a slave girl, and he took a blue-collar guy that he met in prison that we'll talk about again today, and he used people like that to build this church. Those were the founders of this church. It is a diverse church. And Paul says, man, I love you. You're doing great. And Paul says, I miss you. It's just the same way, darling, I feel about you. You're doing great. We love you and we miss you. But then something happens in the rest of this letter that I, that I really wanted to focus on. And I wanted to theme this series. And I believe what Paul does is he doesn't correct them, but he calls a family meeting. Do you remember growing up, did any of you have a family meeting? I don't know if I don't know I did, I don't know if you did, where, you know, it wasn't that anybody was necessarily in trouble. It's just, you know, times had gotten busy and kids were doing their things and parents were doing their things. And mom and dad would say, hey, hey, we need to have a family meeting. And the whole family would gather in the living room and they'd say, all right. And the, the goal of it was to remind the family of who they were, right? To remind them what they believed in and what their values and standards and cultures are because things could get a little crazy if you're not constantly having communication. I'll give you an example of how this happened in Darla and I's life just recently. Obviously, things have been a little unique and a little crazy over the past couple of months. Our kids have been out of school longer than they're supposed to be, been home more. And so at one point, Darla and I realized that the behavior of our kids was a little odd and we realized that they had way more phone time, way more screen time than they should be having. But they were home more and we were trying to work and so on and so on. And so we called a family meeting and we brought them in and we said, hey, look, you know, you're not in trouble. Not, you didn't do anything wrong. However, in the culture of our family, we have gotten kind of out of the line, right? You're spending a little bit too much time on the phone and that's causing this and that. And we had to put in some guidelines and some rules and we had to remind them that this is what we are about. And that's what I think is happening right here in the book of Philippians. Paul is saying, hey, look, it's time for a family meeting. Again, you're not in trouble. You haven't done anything wrong, but I wanna to continue to instill in you the values and the culture that has made you the great church that you are. That's what he's saying to the church in Philippi. And I believe what a great opportunity right now for us. I believe that our church is an amazing church and what a great time to say, hey, hey, gather around, right? Like, gather, gather around, sit around, get your notepads, get your pens. Let mom and dad talk for a second, right? Let, let's, let's be reminded about our values and our standards and our culture and what it is that makes our church great. Because I believe the world needs a church, right? And I believe that we can be one of the churches that the world needs. And so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at what Paul said. So you ready? Here we go, we're gonna dive in. Number one is this. The first thing Paul reminds the church of Philippi is this. Let your love mature right? Let, let your love grow and let it mature. Let's look at it. Let's go back and read. We'll start at verse nine. And Paul says, this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul says, hey, look, very first thing we need to remember is that we let love lead, right? We, and not only do we let love lead, but we're constantly asking the presence of God to mature the love that we give. 
Paul says there's a difference. You've got immature love, and then you have mature love. And you may be asking, well, what is, what is immature love? I got the best example for you. As, as many of you know, Darla and I used to be youth pastors, and so we were constantly surrounded by young men and young women who were in love, right? You know what that's like? You know, they would get on their social media posts. I remember specific girls or specific guys, and it would be, this is the love of my life. And they would post pictures holding hands and they were hugging and all the hashtags and, oh, baby, sweetie, honey, cookie, and, and all these things. And I, I would never be able to live my life without you. Oh, you're the love of my life. This is where that throw up emoji goes in the comments. You know what I mean? A little puke one. And then it never failed. A couple months would go by and that individual, that young man or that young woman would quit posting. And then all of a sudden, they would be on their, on their social media, on their Facebook or on their Instagram with a new love of their life, right? And it was the same thing again. Oh, you're the love of my life. I can never imagine life without you. Oh, honey, sweetie, honey, cookie, baby, honey. And you're looking and you're like, this, this is insane. You were just madly in love with somebody else. And now that individual's gone and now you're madly in love with a different person. Now look, I'm not hating, I'm not judging. We all have trapper keepers from when we were kids and we wrote the names of people that we love and then that love, you know, if that person walked past you right now, you wouldn't even know who they were, right? We've all been there. That is immature love. That's not the love Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about, hey, we need to get to a place where the love that we're letting leave, the love that we're giving to our spouses, our kids, our families, other people, our bosses, our coworkers, our church family, that love needs to be mature. Well, what does that look like? What is mature love? Paul says that your love matures with knowledge and discernment, right? Listen to this, write this down. Despite how much you love somebody, you can always love them more, okay? Regardless of how, oh, well, I, I love you. Regardless of how much I love you, I can always love you more. For example, I loved Darla when, when we were dating and, and we started getting more and more serious. I knew I love this woman. And I thought at that point, in the words of the great prophet Brad Paisley, I thought that I would never be able to love you more than then. But then I found out as we got married, right, there were other things I learned about her. I learned about her passion for God, and I learned about, you know, the values in her life, and I learned about how what of a great daughter she was to her parents and what a great sister she is to her brother, and my love for her grew and it matured. Then we had kids, and I watched her be this phenomenal mom, and I fell in love with her again, and my love matured. And now I've seen her as a business owner, and I've seen her as a pastor's wife, and I've seen her love the ladies of our church in such a way that, again, my love continues to mature. As a friend, when I go on road trips with her, that love matures. It's constantly growing. And why is it growing? You ready? Big revelation. It's growing because my knowledge of her is growing. Did you catch that? Like my love is maturing because of knowledge and discernment. You need both. I have to know more about her. Then I have to discern what I'm learning. And as I'm discerning what I'm learning, my love is growing. Paul told the church, he said, we need to do this with God. We, we need to grow in our knowledge of God. And as we grow in that knowledge and we discern that knowledge, we will fall more in love with God. Listen to me, as a church, if we want our love to mature, all right, let me ask you a question. The more you know your kids, do you love them more? You do. I know we could put a little joke right there like, ah, I don't know. No, but you really, you do. There, there are things about, you, you love your kid differently when they're one, 
versus when they're five. And when they're five to when they're 10, and when they're 10 to when they're 18, because your love for them has grown. Your spouse, right? Love for your parents. I, I look back now, uh, you know, my love for my parents is different when I'm 35 years old because I know some of the things that they went through and some of the things they did for me. That's how, it's the same thing, same way with God. And listen to me, ready? It's the same way with other people. How does our love mature for the lost? How does our love mature for somebody who has different beliefs than me? How does my love mature for someone whose skin color is different than me? How does my love truly mature? My love matures by knowledge and discernment. The more I know about you, the more I fall in love with you, right? Now, here's a, here's a big revelation, and I won't dig into this too deep, so you have to do it a little bit on your own, but sometimes my faith has to allow me to love before I can get all of the knowledge, right? Sometimes I have to just be mature in my love. Well, how do you do that? In Christ. I, I love you through the love of Christ. I love you because he first loved me, right? Um, it's, it's the maturity of my love through Jesus that allows me to love you until I can gain the knowledge that brings maturity into my love. Oh, this is deep, but I hope you're getting it. This will set you free. This will literally let your love go from immature to mature. Sometimes we say I love you to people, right? Like, hey man, see you later, love you. That's immature love right? Unless that love is built on knowledge, it's immature, not mature. So, so, so um, number one, I want to give you an example of what mature love looks like, but I also want to affirm you in this. When Paul tells the church of Philippi that you need your love to mature, he's not asking them to do something that he, in return, has not already done. So let me show you. Acts chapter 16, there's a moment where Paul and a friend of his named Silas is in prison. They're in prison, and they shouldn't be in prison. They've been preaching the gospel. They haven't been bothering anybody. They've been mistreated and put in prison. All right, so we're going to look at that. Acts chapter 16. We'll start at verse 23, and it says this. After they had been severely flogged. So not only have they been arrested, but now they've been beaten. So they've been severely flogged. That's what flogged means, beaten. They were thrown into prison, and watch this. And the jailer, because there was a jailer that was supposed to look over them, was commanded, was told, was given a command to guard them carefully, right? So in other words, don't hurt them, guard them, just make sure that they are in, they are guarded, but guard them carefully. Now watch what happens. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and he fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, because of our education from different ways, when we read the word stocks, we picture that wood with like the armholes and the neck holes that people will go and get in for pictures at amusement parks. It, it's silly. That, that's not what's happening there. In that culture, in that day, stocks, here's what they would do. They would literally uh, contort your body and then they would lock you in. So it was literal torture is what it was. Imagine contorting your body and then being chained, right? It, it's torture nonstop. So this guard is told, hey, Paul and Silas are in prison. You're responsible for them. Guard them carefully. And instead of doing that, he disregards the order and he contorts their bodies and puts them in a form of torture. Okay. Just want you to get the idea of the relationship right now between the jailer and Paul. Now, 
Paul and Silas start worshiping, right? They start praying to God. God sets them free, breaks open the doors of the prison, miraculously sets them free. And watch this. We're going to pick up in verse 27. And it says, the jailer woke up, and when he saw that the prisoner prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, you might go, that's a little extreme. In that day, if you were responsible for a particular prison mate, if they escaped, you got killed. All right, so just, again, letting you know. So he was about to kill himself. If nothing else, what I think is to sell the idea that maybe Paul killed him and that's how he got out right? So this is about to happen. This guy, Paul has escaped. He's about to die anyway. He's going to kill himself to maybe try to save his reputation. And watch this. But Paul shouts, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We hadn't left. God has set us free, but we didn't walk out of here. We are still standing here. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in. He fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Right? They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Watch this. The jailer saw mature love, right? He saw mature love in Paul and Silas and said, oh, that love that you're given, there's something about that. It's different. How can I get that love? And Paul said, it's simply through Jesus Christ, right? Paul has is showing a mature love. Paul could have been like, aha, sucker, and run out and he could have died. All that could happen. But Paul stayed because he loved him like Christ loved him. All right, you ready for the big reveal? Paul used that jailer and his family to help plant the church in Philippi. Come on, somebody. Do you catch that? So when Paul's telling the church in Philippi, you need to let your love abound and grow in maturity, that man understands what he's talking about. And when he stands up when they read that letter and say, the, the leader, our pastor, Pastor Paul, when he preaches that, we live it. And why? Because he did it for me. And so I'm going to do it for you and we're going to do it for them. Hear me, church. The value and standard that we are reminded of this morning is that we love the world with a mature love, not an immature love, a love that, it, that abounds in knowledge and discernment brought on by the Holy Spirit. And we will walk and live that love. Do you hear me? So, so the first reminder for us, come on in family, come on. First reminder is this, we, Victory Church, we as a family, we love every person, every other person with a love that is mature through knowledge and discernment. The second thing that Paul tells us is to remember to have confidence in your chains. So he calls the family together and says, remember to let your love be mature. Second, remember to have confidence in what you're going through. Remember to have confidence in your chains. So pick up Philippians and we're gonna look at verse 12. So chapter one, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Everything I've been through, right? Every hardship, everything that brought me fear, anger, everything that I thought was against me is actually working for the gospel, all right? This is so good. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ, that what I'm going through is not just about me, but it's about moving the gospel of Jesus Christ forward. And watch this, because of my chains, because of what I'm going through, because of my hardships, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So now because of the way I reacted 
to what I'm going through, because of the way I responded to the attack on me and the hardship on me, people who didn't have faith, their faith has now grown, all right? It is true that some will preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. So you're going to have people who are saying they're preaching the message of God, and some are using it for this, and some are using it for that. The latter do so out of love, right? The latter, it's about the mature love. Knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, so they're doing it for themselves, right? Not sincerely. Supposing, watch this, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains, all right? So Paul, here's what Paul's saying. Paul is talking to the church of Philippi, and he knows they're starting to get to a place of uneasiness. He knows that they might be going, is it possible that this isn't working? Because Paul, our pastor, while he's saying all of these things, while he's saying we're the church that the world needs, he's actually in prison. And here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that my chains are still a part of God's plan. Did you hear that? He's, he's, he's given them confidence. Like, listen, I, the chains I'm in, I'm not surprised by them and neither is God. When I'm going through my hardship, I'm still right in the middle of God's plan. I heard a pastor say at one time like this, that when you plant a seed, there'll be times where you'll start looking at ground and nothing's happening and you're wondering, well, is it working? And he says, the seed is still on schedule, right? So Paul says, even though I'm in chains, the gospel's still on schedule. Even though I'm going through a hardship, the message of Jesus Christ is still moving ahead. What you think isn't working, or let me say like this, what you think is working against me is actually working for me. So again, let me give you some actual examples. I won't go into specific details, but there are two people in our church that when the pandemic of COVID-19 hit, they both lost their jobs. And I remember being constantly in communication with them, just making sure they, they had basic needs. And their faith was incredible. They're, they're married, they had bills and responsibilities, but they just believed God. They took side jobs here and there and different things, but they just stayed, I'm gonna be honest with you, they kept tithing. They just stayed passionate about the message of Jesus Christ, all right? So you fast forward through that time. Now they both ended up with new jobs that where they make more than what they were making at their old job and they find more fulfillment. One gets to work at home uh, permanently. One gets to work in an, in an area that he loves and feels like he was created to do. And I'm just showing you there an example of when you think everything's working against you. When, when you look around and all you see is prison walls and your hands and chains, when you literally are thinking for a second, maybe God forgot about me, right? Maybe God doesn't have his hand on this situation because I don't, I see hopelessness, right? I don't see this being able to be a positive thing. Uh, Paul is reminding the church in Philippi, one of our values and one of our cultures is that despite what we go through, we have confidence that our chains are going to move us forward. All right? Are you ready? This is going to be hard for your theology. You ready? Your chains have a purpose. They have a purpose. Your hardship has a purpose. Paul said at the beginning of this letter that the good work that God started, he will complete. Now, let me ask you a question. In a world that is uh, they call it the, the the cancel culture, right? That we're constantly moving based off of what you say and how you act. And if you do something wrong, we're done with you and, and this and that. And everybody's so emotionally driven and so right now driven. How hard 
would it have been for our culture to deal with Paul? Right? Because Paul's like, I don't care what you do. You can praise me. You can put me down. You, you can set me free. Let, can I show you? This is so cool. Because Paul's like, despite what happens to me, I'm going to glorify God. All right. So we're going to pick up in verse 18. It says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, so whether what you say is right or wrong, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I'll continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. All right? It gets better. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. All right, watch this. This is what Paul is literally telling his church and his opposers, right? Are you ready? He's really saying, you want to put me in prison? While I'm in prison, I will start an interest party for my next church plant, right? All right, well then we'll beat you. Well, if you beat me, that's fine, but I will count my scars insufficient to the glory of Jesus Christ. Well, you know what? Then we'll kill you. Well, hey, if you kill me, to die is gain because I'm going to be with Christ Jesus, baby. All right, well, i tell you what. We're not going to kill you. We're not going to beat you. We're not going to imprison you. We'll just let you go. Well, if you let me go, my labor is going to be for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's like, do whatever you want to do. Kill me. Fine. It's for Jesus. Beat me. Fine. It's for Jesus. Put me in prison. Fine. It's for Jesus. Set me free. Fine. It's for Jesus. Whatever happens, one thing I won't do, I won't be quiet. You put me in prison, I'm a praise God. You beat me, I'm a praise God. You try to kill me, I'm a praise God. You set me free. When they set him free in Acts 16, the jailer said, would you just go quietly, right? We'll set you free, but don't say anything. He said, there'll be no way. There'll be no, when you brought me here, you were loud. And when I leave, I'll be loud for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the church in Philippi's values. And Paul's saying, hey, don't be easily offended. Don't be so sensitive. Understand that you are walking in the power of Jesus Christ with the message that will bring offense. So when they beat you, praise Jesus. When they're for you, praise Jesus. When they're against you, praise Jesus. If they threaten to kill you, hey, to die is gain. When they threaten to let you live, well, my labor is going to be for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't, you can't mess up somebody with that kind of mindset. You can't frustrate Paul with a tweet. Are you kidding me right now? You can't offend Paul with an Instagram post. Paul's like, I wish you would. Because whatever you do to me is ultimately going to come back around for the glory of Jesus Christ. I'll give you a second. Just praise dance right now. <laughs> if Jamal was here right now, he'd, just, he'd show us how it's done. Get your praise on. Because this is, this is my attitude as your pastor, and this needs to be our attitude as a church. Do whatever you want. You won't offend me. You won't make me feel bad because I ain't doing it for you. I'm doing it for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm doing it with mature love so that people who don't know Jesus will come to be saved, and people who do know Jesus will be discipled in the word of God, and they will get closer and closer to Jesus, and we will change this world. That's the church that the world needs. We need mature love, number one. And number two, we have got to get to a place where we now can find confidence in our chains.
The third thing that Paul reminds his family is this, that we will be one in spirit. All right, here we go. Let's pick up at verse 23. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. It's better by far to be in heaven with Jesus, but it's more necessary for me to remain in this body and preach the gospel. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So because me being here and going through this will make your faith stronger and you'll keep speaking for what is right and for the gospel. Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. No matter what happens, you act, because you're a Christian, like Jesus, according to the word. Come back to that. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in that one spirit. You stand firm, one in spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, do not be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So Paul calls his family. Come on, come on, family. Let's get together. Number one, let's continue to let our love mature. Number two, let's be confident in our chains and in our hardships. And then number three, let's be unified as one in spirit. You know, a lot of theologians talk back and forth about the fact that this was the only church that Paul didn't send a letter of correction. But one theologian was quoted saying that if there was any danger that the church of Philippi faced, they were this great church of diversity and, and generosity and, and, and love for God and the gospel and all these things. And if there was anything that the church of Philippi had as a possible danger, the theologian said it was this, disunity. Matter of fact, here's the truth. The only thing that can hurt a healthy church is disunity. And so Paul's calling the family in and says, hey, we need to be on the same page, right? We, we, we are all different. We're diverse. And so, but we need to be unified. You're like, Pastor Troy, are you really going to talk about unity at a time like this? Yes, I am. Because that's what the church is. Can I tell you something? The church is not here for bake sales, okay? The church is here to be able to establish these kinds of things that we don't think are actually establishable in our country. Unity is one of them. You say, well, where, how do you have faith in unity? My faith in unity starts with my faith in Christ. And when I started reading this, and, and again, the mindset of being one in spirit and being unified, I looked up the definition of unified, and the definition is at whole, be whole. And when I read that, there was this illustration in my mind about a puzzle. And I started thinking about a puzzle and all these different pieces and again, different shapes, you know, they're, they're different colors and, and what you're trying to do ultimately when you put a puzzle together is you're trying to take all of these different pieces with different shapes and different colors and you're trying to make them one. You're trying to make them whole. And once they're whole, they give this beautiful picture, right? The picture that Christ always saw, the picture that God saw in creation. And so again, going back to the point Paul's trying to say is we are supposed to be one in spirit. We're supposed to be able to come together, different shapes, different colors, and be whole. So how do we do that, right? How, how do we become one 
in spirit. And then I started thinking more about a puzzle. And I've shared this with you before, that when I do a puzzle, one of the things I do to make it the easiest is I put together a border. It, it doesn't make it easy. It's still a lot of hard work. And we're going to talk about that next week. But that border that I create gives me a framework and it gives me something to work with. And it helps me take so many different pieces and make them unified. So if, if we're going to take different pieces and, and diversity and make us unified in one spirit, what is our framework? What, what is our border? Our framework is the Bible. Our border is the words of God, scripture. That's the framework. That's what we're doing with studying the book of Philippians as we're bringing us all together right now. We have different opinions and different perspectives and, and different concerns and issues. Some of us are anxious. Some of us are fearful. Some of us are hopeless. Some of us are hopeful. And we're taking all of that and trying to make it unified. And the only way we can do that is to have a framework that begins with the word of God. And Paul does this. Paul actually, I'm going to show you this in a minute. Paul actually sets up a border for the church of Philippi. And then he starts going through the pieces. Okay, so he's going to set the border and then he's going to start filling in the pieces. So what I want to do, the way I want to end today is I want to give you the border that Paul gives them. And then next week we'll start filling in the pieces. Okay, so to get this border, we're going to have to go to Philippians chapter Two. And I know you're like, wait a minute, that's, you know, you're supposed to be in Philippians chapter one. That's next week. Okay, chill out. When Paul wrote this, it was one long letter. We're the ones that broke it up into chapters so that it was easy for reading and finding it. That's fine. But, but he says something in chapter two, verse three, where he sets the border. And this is the way I want to end this week is I want us to set this border. Okay. So we're going to pick up with Philippians chapter two, verse one, but we're going to read to verse three and that will give us our border. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, and if any tenderness and compassion, those are all rhetorical, right? Of course you have encouragement from being united with Christ. Of course you have uh, uh, common sharing in the spirit. He's just saying, if you have that, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, there it is again, and of one mind, watch this, here's verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather instead, you ready? This is, selfish ambition and conceit is not your value, Victory Church. Selfish ambition and conceit is not our standard, Victory Church. Instead, our value, our culture, our belief is that in humility, we value others above ourselves. There's the border. Woo! That's a tough one, right? There's the framework that if you and I want unity, if you and I want to be one in spirit, we have to get to a place that in humility, what does humility mean? It means to lower myself. And we're going to talk about that next week, that when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, it was in humility. We're going to talk through that. But that in humility, we would value others above ourselves. Okay. Let me, let me give you this. You ready? Unity will happen when I no longer see my voice as more valuable than your voice. Unity will happen when I no longer see my pain as more valuable than your pain. Unity will happen when I no longer see my kids as more valuable than your kids. 
Unity will happen when, when I no longer see my well-being as more valuable than your well-being. Does that make sense what I'm saying? That, that unity for us is when we begin to value others above ourselves. And I understand that the temptation there in our flesh goes, well, who's going to value me? Well, let's think about this for a second. If I'm valuing you above me and you're valuing me above you, what happens? Right? It's beautiful. That's why when everybody was trying to ask Jesus, hey, what's most important? What do I do? Who's my neighbor? What should, should I love? Should I do? But Jesus said, shh, listen, listen, y'all are tripping. I think that's how Jesus would have said it. Y'all are tripping. The easiest way to give you the right direction, the easiest way for you to have unity is to love God and to love others as yourself. Boom, Jesus might drop. There it is. If, if we want unity, Paul makes it so clear. Paul says we have to, in humility, I'm not saying this is easy. Please listen to me. I'm not saying this is easy. I don't want you to be like, well, pastor just thinks. No, I understand it's very difficult. And next week we're going to talk about, Paul lays it out for us on how we do this. It's very difficult, but it's what we have to do. These are the words of Pastor Paul. These are the words of God to this situation of how you and I can be one in spirit. So Paul grabs the whole family, says, come on, come on. You're doing great. I love you. You're awesome. But let me just remind you real quick of our values and our standards and our beliefs that are going to get us through hardship and keep us one. Number one is that love has to mature. Number two, you got to have confidence in your chains and your hardships. And number three, you have got to be one in spirit and one in mind. And we only do that by having the same framework. Now I understand that the enemy will start to try to tell people, well, he's speaking towards an agenda and there, there's certain things he's saying. And I just want to be honest with you real quick. You, you could say, well, he's speaking towards racism again. A hundred percent I'm speaking towards racism, but I'm not only speaking towards racism. I'm speaking towards anything that is against the spirit of God. Anything. Whatever, whatever injustice that you see, whatever um, issues that you're struggling with, whatever things that you're looking at that you, you know aren't right or are, again, just off, that's what I'm speaking towards. It's towards everything. Paul believed, and when he told the church of Philippi, he believed that if we were one in spirit with the framework of Jesus Christ, the framework of the Bible, the framework of the Word of God, then Anything that would be coming against the Spirit of God, we would be going against with our unity. Whatever. Whatever it is. This is not my opinion. This is the Word of God. This is Paul's words to the church in Philippi. And so today, in the next few weeks, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a family meeting. We're going to gather around on the couch and the chair and say, hey, let's be reminded what we're about. Let's be reminded about how to, to fight all of the injustices the right way, right? This is, can, can, I, can I give you a little bit of humor for a second? When Paul says that value others above yourselves, hey, even when it comes to buying toilet paper, right? Value others above yourselves. Like it, it, it applies to everything, everything. This is the framework for you and me to find unity, to be one in spirit, and to find victory for not only ourselves, but for the generations to come. And so I wanna give you a little bit of direction and we'll pray you will be able to access over the next couple of days a Bible prayer and reading plan based off Philippians chapter 1. It's very simple. It takes you Monday through, I think, Friday or Saturday, a couple of verses a day for you to read and a specific prayer for you to pray. And I want to ask you, as your pastor, to sit down with your kids, to sit down with your spouse, 
to sit down with anybody that you have influence, family, whatever it might look like, and read those verses together. It's two, three, four, five verses a day. Read those verses, read them for yourself, highlight them, put notes in your Bible, pray these prayers, and then again, be excited and back next week to be able to go through part two together. This is going to be what we need. I still believe that the church is the hope of the world. And I believe that the foundation, the reason why the church is the hope of the world is because of the word of God. Father, we thank you right now for who you are, your Holy Spirit. I thank you for your word that is alive and that God has, the, the love that Paul had for the church in Philippi, I have for Victory Church, for our family. And Lord, the way he called them in and said, hey, I love you, you're doing great, but let's stay focused. Let, let's stay united. Let's stay about our Father's business. God, that's my prayer right now. That in all that we've faced over the past few months and the fact that we are not gathering together and the, the fact that there'll be more things that we experience in the next few days and few weeks and years, that these are, these are not principles, God, that we're applying for right now. These are principles we're applying for the rest of our life. These are principles that we're instilling into our kids and, and then their kids so that we can have victory in a world that does like to oppose you. But we will stand up with your word. We will stand up with the belief. We will love people. We will let a mature love grow. We will see, we will have confidence in our chains and our hardships. And we will fight. We will fight to be one in spirit and one in mind because we are turning our attention on the word of God. And that's what matters. Father, we thank you again for all that you're doing, for the word that you're speaking to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.